Welcome to Connecting Awesome People, proudly brought to you by Cinder. At Cinder, we're more than just a staffing and recruiting company. We're dedicated to creating equitable workplaces where everyone can truly thrive. We believe in the power of community and the strength of diverse teams. Interested in partnering with us or learning more? Reach out at connect at teamcinder.com. Welcome back to the second episode of Connecting Awesome People. I am joined again by Marcus Carter, community organizer and DEI practitioner. And today we're going to discuss two recent laws that were passed in Utah, one criminalizing using a bathroom that does not align with the gender you were assigned at birth, and one outlawing DEI education in schools and government institutions. You can view the show notes for links to articles on these topics. And let's jump right in. Welcome back, Marcus. Hey, Paul, happy to uh, be here and uh, interested to, you know, engage and, and talk about these topics. For sure. There's definitely been some momentum building uh, for the people that are in favor of these laws, as Utah is not the first in the country, but in fact, at least the 10th for both of these laws. And I think there's a lot connecting the two of them, particularly in, in terms of how the how the narrative gets told and, and what the outcomes are that they're aiming for. Why don't we get started on the policing of trans identities? Yeah, you know, on, on this uh, issue or this, this article, I guess I would say issue at large, we cannot take lightly what's at cost with these wins. Uh, we can't t cannot take lightly the, the scale of violence and harm trans folks are forced to navigate. Uh, the policing, you know, functions that are put in place, these are things we have to make impossible for folks to consider, you know, in the near term future. I'm, I'm so mindful of the over policing of black and brown communities. The over representation in, you know, prisons are, you know, a product of, of the policing of black and brown communities, right? Uh, and even before we get to that, there's just millions of people whose lives are taken by just trying to be themselves, people who are, you know, hardly surviving day to day, people who are at the intersections of race, gender, poverty, et cetera. And, and also, if we just take a step back, you know, th this really enrages me is that, you know, haven't we all read about Emmett Till? Haven't we all read about, you know, Marsha P. Johnson and Pride? Have we not lived through and read about you know, Japanese internment camps? Mm. Have we not read the horrors of the Vietnam War? Um, in other words, have we not learned our lessons, right? Like at some point it feels like our humanity has in this moment, it continues to uh, create a tolerance for this kind of slow and violent death by these kind of measures. And so it will always anger me deeply that folks use you know, surface level ignorance or scenarios, a one-off situation in some way to justify and perpetuate practices that have limited or uh, selective moral ethics uh, and or just care for, you know, humanity. I, I you know, for this topic, you know, it, it's, it's the only trans laws that should make headlines. The only ones that should be passed are the ones that ensure the liberty, you know, in pursuit of happiness of, you know, our trans community, anything outside of that scope uh, continues to remain a loss, you know, for our humanity. And so 
It's extremely unfortunate, extremely violent. And again, I, I say we all have to take responsibility for this because we've already read this story. We already know how this plays out. And, and many of us are already aware of the trauma, the harm, the violence, you know, trans communities already, you know, na navigating. Yeah, it, it's particularly troubling the, to coin a term, the othering industrial complex, just the idea that we're going to identify this group uh, which, you know, is not a violent group, is not a group that's causing problems in many places and turn them into the sort of um, easy target for these kind of attacks. Obviously, this is specific. This particular law is specific to bathroom usage, but we've also seen a string of laws being passed relating to limiting access to gender affirming care. In many cases, we're hearing stories of people being forced to leave the states that they're living in for safety. It, it's really troubling. And in particular, I would just call out, um, you know, I certainly think we want to make sure we are providing both physical and psychological safety for people in any spaces that we can. Obviously, the bathroom is a, a vulnerable place, but there are some very easy ways to redesign or change the layout of bathrooms if our primary concern is making sure that we're giving people access to sufficient safety and privacy that does not require us to criminalize an entire identity. It, it just feels like that is, that's the wrong way to, to actually address the idea that we need to be protecting people. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think it's fair to say, you know, uh, access to bathrooms is not the end goal. Right. This is you know, large scale systems working at, you know, a high level of, you know, strategy. And this is just one tool to further um, initiate harm towards, you know, a group. Right. If we think of, you know, the what are the economic and or, you know, wealth gaps for trans folks? Uh, again, we, we've already touched on, you know, healthcare. It's like this is just another chip at someone's humanity and ability to just walk this earth. And so, you know, the while well, obviously the article is focused on this element, it's like there's so many other ways in which, you know, these communities, uh, our communities continue to, to be harmed. Um, and I also say that because I hear so many revolutionaries and activists just saying these are never like single issue um, events or, you know, things we're fighting for. Uh, these are holistic human beings, you know? And so again, while this is one tactic, there's, you know, a thousand others. I, I forget what is the stat just about the number of anti-trans bills on the books. It's just mind blowing, uh, but it just shows. So this is just one and there's uh, a laundry list of others. I think we can expand some of this conversation just to the broader topic of the outlawing of DEI. Um, it's another law that has been picking up momentum. There's several states that also have this as a, as a law that they're passing. And uh, based on the news story that I'm linking to in the notes, Republican lawmakers have already introduced these sorts of laws in at least 17 states to restrict or require public disclosure of DEI initiatives. This feels like a very adjacent attack to me because at the same time that you're removing the humanity of a group uh, that you're sort of singling out to make into 
a newly criminalized identity, you're also limiting any of the advocates or allies of that group from trying to educate people about those identities and about ways that we can actually honor and affirm those identities. Those two things seem very closely related to me. It's, it's all connected. It is all connected. And if we read enough history, uh, we start to see those connections um, as, as well. It is just deeply troubling and unfortunate. And I've said this before, but everyone has to take responsibility for, you know, these kind of attacks on DEI. Obviously, we have an opportunity to learn if we're attentive to the lessons and or discourse that took place around critical race theory, right? We saw that be a target. I just think there's a kind of liberalism that's been floating in the mainstream discourse about DNI that enables this ongoing pushback and erasure that we're currently seeing. When I say liberalism, I'm meaning the kind of like beta testing of DNI. It feels like every three or four years, there's like DNI fatigue, you know, that kind of dialogue creeps up. Uh, there's liberalism, meaning the workplace. Uh, some people believe like it can't be a site of that much harm and violence. Um, and for any organization or individual that references things like trust, integrity, a bias for action, leadership, uh, a favorite of mine is the servant leadership and such. You know, my estimate is that those values aren't enough. They just have not been enough right? They have not created the material changes that are necessary at this point. They haven't sped up or collapsed a pay or, you know, gender or racial uh, inequities and such, right? We haven't uh, normalized transforming our workspaces in our institutions of learning, of healthcare to the point where it's now unthinkable to roll back anything related to, right. you know, DEI. And so, I just think there's an element in which these kind of efforts speak to just how liberal and how light, you know, we have been around DNI and some of these other efforts. And in parallel, we know that there's plenty of harm being done across the country in the form of not improving healthcare, not improving housing opportunities, not addressing real systemic poverty which it kind of highlights how much this becomes really more of a propaganda effort to criminalize DEI or criminalize trans identity without addressing the more obvious, explicit systemic harms that are happening every day. Love that point. Yeah. You know, many of these institutions or ideologies that critique DNI seem to lack interventions that do solve the deep inequities on hand. Mm. And so, the attack on DEI is obviously something you know we got to continue to to deal with, but I'm not saying we start to attack it by simply just having a louder voice. No, right. the request is that we deepen and accelerate our own praxis, right? That we do normalize inclusion and equity versus again the beta testing, normalize utilizing a spectrum of human needs and abilities to produce innovation, or simply services that solve for the masses. Normalize, you know, processes and outcomes that are accessible, you know, to uh, everyone, 
normalize an acute awareness around, you know, seeking and uplifting the aesthetic of representation and or appropriation, right? Like we, we really have, you know, uh, work to do because none of these attacks are are new, right? None of these things are new. We, we don't need to be, you know, uh, uh, scared of these uh, attacks. We just fundamentally need to focus on how do we continue to transform, you know, our environments. Yeah, you brought up critical race theory earlier. I think the attacks on affirmative action are also in the same vein. It's almost a, it's almost a desire to prevent conversation about difficult topics, particularly as they relate to oppression, as if the discussion or the education related to those topics is the real harm. And it's effective in terms of its propaganda and perpetuating of that oppression, but it's where we need to focus our attention on the problem, you know? Yeah, that's why I highlight there's a sense of liberalism associated, you know, within the you know, mainstream uh, dialogue. It, it kind of reminds me of a playground sort of this person said that, that person said that, we'll get in trouble for what we said. Right. Meanwhile, other groups are literally blowing each other up. Right. Right. Or the institution is literally sponsoring, you know, uh, the the armed forces of another group against another one. It's like, wait, what is actually causing you know, harm here. Let's take right. a step back and evaluate that much. For me, it's if we were actually relentless, uh, unforgiving in how we operate through diversity, equity, and inclusion, also how we just operate through justice, right? How we just operate through our humanity and making sure people are, you know, being able to achieve according to their needs and all those things like None of this would exist. That that kind of voice or ability to eradicate, you know, these kind of uh, programs and or social structures, that voice would be marginalized. Right now, that voice is actually not just empowered, but it, it represents a sort of majority, uh, if you will. And again, that goes back to my critique of, you know, sort of liberalism or, you know, being moderate. It's like somebody is continuing to harm or something, you know, some ideology has continued to harm one group at a mass scale. Mm -hmm. And instead of uh, people saying, you know what, I'll do whatever I can to protect this. Uh, instead, people sort of just watch the fight happen. Right. And continue to see, you know, different groups be harmed and then have the nerve to say, well, maybe, maybe you should have tried something different or, or maybe whatever talking point is out there. Yeah. You know, we're now in a year of an election. It is interesting to watch how these sorts of topics become framed in the space of too much political correctness or identity politics, which I think when you identify with the group in power and you identify with the group that is most often protected by these, th these rules and regulations, it becomes a lot easier for you to pass these things off as quote unquote identity politics. I think it's a very different perspective when your identity is the identity being criminalized, right? And I think the other piece I would add to that is the scariest thing about this to me is how apparently easy it is for people to just add new groups to the oppressed class in a way that remains largely unchecked. It's amazing. We don't have an article today about gender affirming healthcare, but if you follow the news, you know that those laws have been being passed 
we've got the bathroom rules. We have the don't talk about anything related to DEI related rules. You know, I think we should all be attentive to how this plays out because it is reasonable to expect other identities are also going to come under similar attacks in the future. And there's clearly a momentum here that that is only going to cause more harm in these spaces. It's reminding me that uh, at one point in history, we did have sort of a social consciousness, mm. you know, like just as there's, you know, a civil rights movement transitioning into war, there's also an anti-war movement, right? There's also a, a deeper understanding of class, race relations, gender, like that was at one point normalized in a growing, you know, voice. Right. Whereas now, you know, you turn on the TV and it's really just advocating one, you know, uh, uh, point of view, if you will. And so uh, one of the things that, you know, comes to my mind, especially, you know, raising the kids is like in the next 20, 25 years, the examples they see on TV will all be, you know, examples we would have critiqued just a generation before me. You right. know, they don't have a Martin Luther King, uh, uh, Ella Baker, uh, Dick Gregory, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't have the, you know, Fannie Lou Hammers, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's so much to be said, you know, so many connections. But in some cases you'll see, you know, different folks who are enamored with like, and again, I don't mean disrespect to these people, like, you know, Tyler Perry's, you know, of the world. And it's like, what you... Building a studio and producing, that's not what we're talking about here, right? right? right. We're trying to figure out how to, uh, again, provide life-sustaining resources to, you know, marginalized uh, groups, not just, you know, a project or a shot at Hollywood. Like, if you're thinking in that manner, like, you're already out of touch. You you clearly don't understand the huge gaps in uh, wealth, the huge gaps in uh, health, the huge gaps yeah, in yeah. education, right? Like there's so many things we can go, you know, down the line with it. So um, again, just trying to add on to, to, to what you and I are, you know, both saying, like we're in a, a dangerous moment. And I, you know, I think of like, what are the next, you know, three or four decades uh, look like? What kind of, uh, if not, you know, activism, uh, what kind of resistance uh, and objection exist or are we in this space where it's normal to criminalize or marginalize the protester it's normal to have this kind of fatigue of like oh my goodness it's another issue popping up uh, i say this and this is unfortunate but I, I really wish that the you know calls around me too that that was you know still an emphasis obviously those that kind of harm and violence is still happening. Uh, right. And the media has figured a way to do uh, away with it. It's no different from talking about COVID, right? It's like, look, we're still meeting people daily, who, you know, who are navigating that. And you just don't see that being, you know, uh, front and center. And so we got to interrogate, you know, all the, all these things. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, Marcus, let's let's wrap up here for today. Thank you again for joining me for this episode and, and sharing your insights. And again, I think an exciting aspect of this is to really engage with the people that are taking the time to listen to this and, and have some thoughts they want to contribute to future discussions. 
I'm positive Marcus will join us again in the future. I always appreciate these conversations. So if you have questions about any content today or additional perspectives you would like to offer to us, please send a note and we'll make sure that we address those questions or add the context that you might be sharing with us in future episodes. Please send your questions, comments, requests, or suggestions for future episodes and topics to connect at teamcinder.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. This episode was sponsored by Cinder, where our commitment goes beyond staffing and recruiting. We're dedicated to fostering workplaces that celebrate diversity, equity, and inclusion. Want to connect or explore how Cinder can support your organization? Email us at connect at teamcinder.com. Until next time, keep building connections and driving change. See you soon.